0: Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications, and geographical research. This is podcast number two in a two part series on football and environmental sustainability. Elliot Arthur Warsop is a football fan and founder of Football for Future, an environmental sustainability non-profit working at the heart of the beautiful game. The aim of the organisation is to engage with league and non-league clubs to drive forward environmentally sustainable leadership and climate action. As the planet currently warms at a rate of 0.1 to 0.2 degrees per decade, sport, just like any other industry, needs to drastically reduce its carbon footprint. Football for Future undertakes environmental sustainability audits, runs crash course climate workshops and helps football clubs decarbonise. Today we'll be highlighting some of the work already underway in the English Football Leagues. Thanks for joining us today Elliot. Thank you very much Harry, great to be here. Um, firstly what do Football for Future do and, and what's your background? I am indeed a, a geographer,
1: part of the union and uh, yeah, I, I um, studied A geography BA at the University of Nottingham from 2014 to 2017 and uh, I think it was a a beautiful a particularly beautiful course because it really sort of married and allowed me to to undertake physical and human geography together it was split and, and I think that's great because I don't think you can ever truly understand one without taking the other into account you know you'd walk into one lecture and you'd be learning about Commodity fetishism in the global fast fashion industries, and then you go into the other, and you'd be learning about how irregularities in the Earth's orbit around the sun, uh, you know, determine paleoclimates and and all this sort of stuff. And it was so incredibly varied uh, and inspiring, and it really got you understanding the world in in quite a unique way, and, and understanding the, the interconnectivity of everything in particular, which I which I found particularly fascinating. And you know, I think graduating understanding the extent of the climate crisis uh, and, and trying to understand, okay, well, there must be support or infrastructure for me to graduate into to work in this industry to try and really drive change. But there wasn't really so much of a climate movement at the time in 2017. And then since then, we obviously saw XR and we saw Greta Thunberg and the school strikes. And that conversation has really progressed a lot over the last couple of years. And I was lucky enough to to work in the climate movement and and gain a lot of experience in that and i studied social movements as well for my thesis so i guess i'm a a little bit i specialize in the social sciences a little bit more for my uh, grand crescendo at university but um yeah i i I was very interested in in how we can grow the climate movement and make it more accessible to make it more participatory and, and to redefine it and i think uh I went back to to do my master's at the uh, Institute of Development Studies in Sussex, studying power participation and social change, still still waving the geography flag, looking yeah once again in, into movement building and how to create change rapid change processes in, in pursuit of social justice, but but more importantly climate justice because of course, as we all know that, that that is social justice. And bringing this like identity of of being a, a football fan into the sort of climate, movement space was was quite radical at the time they not there weren't a lot of other organizations in the space doing such things i, I actually really wanted to do a a placement or, or get some work experience with, with a with an organization who was working in football and sustainability this was in 2010. Nineteen, twenty, but none really existed at the time. So um, I spoke to a couple of people, the first person being David Goldblatt and, and then the best graphic designer I know, a guy called Tim Sachs, who's now our head of design and Football for Future uh, came to be because you know nothing is more important than protecting the planet and no social phenomenon is more powerful than football. So we really thought if we sort of wedded these things together, we've seen how football's been an incredible vehicle for all types of conversations and and justice issues for example racial justice gender equality at the time of, of my master's as well we we saw a lot of the blm movement happening in football and marcus rashford's free school meal campaigns and i thought wow i mean it was so inspiring to see how it can raise awareness and change attitudes and break the echo chamber of so many really important conversations so so why not climate so, football for future. We want to become the home of sustainability in football. Uh, we want to, to make climate relatable. So it's not just about you know carbon parts per million and and Greta Thunberg and mass extinction. You know, we really want to talk about how climate change can, it, how how it has an impact on football and how, how it has an impact on maybe your club as as a, as a football fan. But not not only that, but also how football as an industry has, has an impact on the planet in many different ways, whether this is through carbon, whether this is through waste, or whether it's just through the the way that it influences people's behaviour in, in their everyday lives.
0: You're really breaking new ground, and, and it seems obvious actually now that you've uh, started talking about the link between sustainability and football, because the game is global, so there's lots of scope to really make a mark on this industry. Absolutely.
1: Um, I think, you know, football's incredibly beautiful and and the the potential to drive change through the sport is unparalleled and and so exciting there's so many opportunities and i do think the first stakeholders within the industry and ecosystem will probably benefit the most from taking those like bold first steps but you know football's got amazing potential in two ways and and this is demonstrated through football for futures strategy so i mean we've got two main aims the first part is really focused on social change education, awareness, and attitudes. So, you know, we we really focus on training, delivering uh, climate crash courses and training workshops to industry professionals, whether these are football media organizations who have incredible reach, whether these are football industry professionals who who might work at clubs or or who might work at federations or or big football brands as well. We also deliver uh, education workshops to young people, such as uh, people through the foundations of football clubs or local schools because so many kids are football fans and they can relate to it maybe they don't think geography is cool but as soon as you say look mason mount said this wow you know everything changes and their perception of these conversations uh, is completely reframed um we also deliver these workshops to club academies we were at chelsea a couple of weeks ago at cobham speaking to you know the players of the future about these issues too we do a lot of uh, research and reporting trying to discover best practice and then amplifying it, and showing that, look, it's not so hard or it's not so expensive. You don't have to be an elite club to be able to afford this. And I think most interestingly, we, we, we work with players to support players who care about climate, to use their platforms, to be able to communicate these issues and topics with with confidence because a lot of players do really care about this and they're some of the most influential voices uh, in, in the world so if we can sort of nurture them and support them as climate communication experts and help them to deliver these messages through the prism and language of football i think there's amazing potential uh, with like you just said global reach and and clubs as well as brands have have exceptional global influence as well uh, with with fans in, in, in every corner of every single country and continent
0: so you're working with individuals, uh, organisations and football clubs, by the sounds of it. Um, could you give an example of a club that you're currently engaged with and that you're working in partnership with? Yes. Yeah, so we've got an
1: incredibly exciting uh, partnership with Wolverhampton Wanderers at the moment, who I, I, I assume most listeners who are football fans will be aware of their, You know, they're uh, an established Premier League team. We've worked with, I think, they're our third Premier League partner. But we've worked, you know, we have a, a network of volunteers who work with a lot of non-league clubs as well. So I think it's really important that we're, we're representative of the whole of football and we don't just focus on the upper echelons of the game. However, yeah, the work that we're doing with Wolves is incredibly exciting, and this is one of our this falls under our sustainability support service, which is essentially sustainability consultancy. But we're a not-for-profit and we're football fans at heart, so we call it sustainability support. I think it has nicer connotations. So. We'll come into the club. It's really important that we deliver a training workshop to senior members of staff, all of the heads of department. We get them in the room together. And we talk about what's happening to the planet right now. And we try and frame a lot of it through football. Once again, we look at the interrelationship between football and climate change. Uh, I give them a little bit of a background on the history of the climate movement. And then leading up to today, and we all say, well, what's next? And whose responsibility is it? And then our head of sustainability, Tom, he'll have a little chat with them and, and do the second half. And we're talking about the journey ahead. And what that journey ahead looks like is, well, you've got an environmental audit you can't manage what you don't measure. You know, it's not, you you can't say we want to reach this, you know, sustainability target or science-based target by this date if you don't know where you're starting at. So the the most important thing for any, any business who, who really is passionate about becoming more sustainable is they have to get a comprehensive environmental audit scope one two and three of your carbon ideally your waste your water your biodiversity your comms we then develop their, their strategy around this their departmental action plans before this as well we, we sit down with the club and we get this like overarching ambition okay so what do we get what do we want to achieve together what is this going to look like you know we need to ignite this imagination and this sort of collective vision which which is really important when you work towards anything um, and something else which is really unique that we do is we include the fans on this journey as well we send out fan surveys uh, we try to make everything is culturally relevant to this club because every club's different it has different needs it has different cultures it, it exists within different sort of socio-economic conditions so we try to yeah, include them and have their voices participating in the design of, of what this is going to look like, what the names are going to be so that their identity belongs to them. And I think that's an incredibly important thing in football because we know it's not just business, it is culture. In it, and the fans are such significant parts of clubs. Uh, we'll then support the club to, be, to launch this. Hopefully, you know, with, with Wolves, we're going to be able to work with some really cool players or personalities who are associated with the club as well. And we'll support them from a communications point of view, but we want we want to empower them to use their platforms to be able to say, look, this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it. And in an inspiring way, of, you, know, you can talk about anything if you frame it the right way. So for them to be able to use their platform to tell their fans what's happening and, and for the city to move united uh, together towards this common goal of becoming more sustainable. And, and I think what else is really important is to demonstrate that environmental sustainability and economic sustainability and success on the pitch are not mutually exclusive which is really important and I think Forest Green Rovers are a great example of that as well.
0: Is it difficult promoting cultural change when you when you apply this sustainability support in the clubs or with individuals um, or with different organisations or does it come quite naturally?
1: No that's a great question because you know we're talking about the cultural capital of football and you know, there's a lot of stereotypes associated with the game, and people like to think football's quite backwards. But to, to to be perfectly honest, it hasn't felt like we're swimming against the current at all. A lot of our most significant projects and and partnerships have actually come from organisations who've approached us and and they've asked us if we can help them. And we sort of have to pinch ourselves. And I'm like, is this? You know, when we first started the organisation, we didn't even have many case studies. And I was like, these, you know, is this brand or is this club? Are they have they really reaching out to me? Wow, that's amazing. And then from there, I think, you know, you usually have a couple of people within an organization or a business, whether it's football or not who champion this, but it's about trying to open up the conversation more or beyond that person, because that's why we talk about cultural change. You'd struggle and we've had cases where we've struggled delivering impact at a business or at a club when you just work with one person, because it, if the conversation gets siloed, other people in the organization don't know why they're doing something. So you really need to open up the conversation get in a staff training for everybody across the whole entire organization, because everybody has a unique position of power. Everybody has a responsibility and everybody needs to know why they're doing what it is we're asking them to do. And we want to bring them on on this journey together because if they're involved in it, then they're going to be more passionate about it and they need to know why they're doing it. And I think that's a really important thing. So yes, of course there are people who might be a little bit uh, harder to to get through to, but I think when you get the opportunity to really sit down with them and, and speak to them, person to person eye to eye about sort of what's happening and, and why we're doing what we're doing and you know not in a way where we're preaching or, or anything like that but we're just trying to have a, norm, a normal conversation fa- uh, from from football fan to football fan about climate change appreciating that you know we know we need to become sustainable as as a global community but not only are we moving in the opposite direction we're accelerating in the opposite direction and we are running out of time and, and you know everyone's kind of on the same page about that and if we show them. Once again, it's about empowering them with the knowledge and the tools to show them how they can make a difference in their place of work. Then, uh, you know, from, from our experience so far, Touchwood, it, it really hasn't been too difficult.
0: It's very exciting to speak to you today. You must have had success with the cultural change in the work that you're doing, because, as you mentioned, clubs like Forest Green Rovers now are emerging. Could you give a little bit of background about that particular club and why that's a unique football club?
1: Yes, of course. Forest Green Rovers. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned them because we I think we need to move the conversation past them in some way and I'll explain that in a minute, but I think Forest Green Rovers are you know they're incredible. They're trailblazers, they're pioneers and they have really shown what's possible. They have demonstrated that look, you can become I think they're uh, FIFA and and UN certified, you know, the most uh, sustainable professional football clubs in the world, I believe they are carbon neutral or carbon net zero but it's really exciting you know from from the travel to what they make their kits out of to the food that they serve obviously they're all vegan and they have renewable energy of course the the owner Dale Vince It's um, from EcoTricity as well. So they've got a decent renewable energy tariff, I'm sure. But look, they've shown what's possible. They, they're moving up the football leagues, um, which once again shows that becoming environmentally sustainable can equate to success on the pitch. And they've opened themselves up to a lot of really progressive sponsorships. And they've got fans all around the world because they've got really great PR out of everything that they're doing. But like I say, they're a case study for what is possible. And I think they can actually be quite scary and daunting for other clubs when you say to a football fan oh you know maybe your club should think about becoming more environmentally sustainable or climate friendly and then they say well i don't want to become forest green rovers because i'm not a vegan Uh, and and they think that that's the only way to become sustainable when when in fact it's not it's an example of what's possible and, uh, and it's probably more at the extreme end of the scale but i think that sort of stereotype you know once again people like i don't want to uh, you know become an environmental activist because i'm not greta Thunberg. it's that kind of like equivalent of football like oh i'm not a vegan i we i don't want my club to become sustainable i don't want to be owned by dale vince so and i think we have to disrupt that stereotype to show that you know well spurs are doing amazing things as well let's maybe not let's move the conversation past fgr and let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur and, and the amazing things that they're doing for example.
0: Yeah so we've got to go beyond that that extreme example. Yeah it's not about being perfect um, and I guess also celebrating different levels of effort that everyone's trying to move towards an endpoint. And is moving at different paces. A hundred percent,
1: because look, it's not possible for every club. A lot of clubs don't have the financial capacity to be able to implement these changes. A lot of them don't have the skills in house to do what they need to do, and they don't have the, the money to pay for a consultant and maybe some of the support networks. But there are there's a, an initiative called Green Code, which works with the Football League at this sort of surface level auditing, and in the Premier League they've got the Sport Positive sustainability table which is a little bit more in depth it has its vices, but I think in general it's getting better and better and it's quite cookie cutter and it's happening in different leagues uh, elite leagues around the world which is exciting but I think like you say every club moves at a different pace because of different reasons and ultimately football is a business and they do care first and foremost about what happens on the pitch and, and we got to understand that you know we have to understand that i think you have to be a realist when you come into the game it's great thinking oh all clubs should do this straight away and it's going to be amazing and they can stop flying to, to their away games and stuff like that but that's not going to happen you know we have to be realistic with, with what we're looking at and we have to take it one step at a time and, and be ambitious with where we're going to where we're going to be eventually but let's look at okay what's a realistic first step and i think that's the most important sort of attitude to take when you're in this space.
0: Can we pick up on that last point about environmental issues? What would you say the environmental issues are that clubs are trying to get over or individuals are trying to tackle, Um, either in the English game or, or worldwide?
1: Yeah, well, I think you can break it down into different categories. So from a club point of view, you've got Travel, which is really big. I think fan travel accounts for between 60 to 80% of global football industry's carbon emissions. You've got waste, you've got energy, You've got communications as well. I think people don't really think about the impact that that clubs can have from a communications point of view, which is really interesting. And different clubs are obviously trying to combat these in different ways. Once again, there's no sort of one, one size fits all solution to this and whether it's trying to cut back on your single-use plastic use or whether it's signing up to a re- renewable en- energy tariff or whether it's uh, subsidising public transport for your fans or there's so many sort of different ways that, that clubs can have an impact within these different categories and some of them are, are low to no costs. But once again, I, I do think that the most important thing within reason when it's possible for clubs before they start running off and trying to do all of these initiatives which are really important that they try to, you know, First, you have to do an environmental audit. You've got to understand where you're at. And and then, you know, you try and develop a strategy from there. It's not possible for everyone all at the same time. And maybe it happens in different ways. Maybe a funder should come in and support an organization to be able to do this for for clubs en masse. But, um, you you know, these single standalone initiatives do need to fall within a wider club-wide sustainability framework or a strategy.
0: And regarding environmental um, audits, um, what can be changed or what impact do stadiums have on environments, either in construction or once they're up economically and socially?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, every stadium is different. It's in a different location. It's different fans. Travel to their grounds in different ways. Some some might be embedded right within the heart of a city, and people are just walking there. Whereas other grounds, such as the Amex, you know, I'm a Brighton fan. We're tucked away in the in the rolling hills of the South Downs. So Brighton and Hove Albion had no choice but to subsidise public transport to the ground, which is which is amazing. And of course, depending on the location as well, will determine how many, like how much footfall there is in different parts of the city. So, from like a local economic point of view, um, we, you can really sort of get a surge of, of tourists and football fans, in certain parts of the city spending more money in certain areas, whether that's on on beer or on merchandise or uh, just you know grabbing uh, a, a box of chips before the game and and hanging out in certain areas and understanding you know maybe certain. Uh, home games for one club, your stadium's really far away from most other teams in the football league, so there there might be an opportunity to be able to you know, accommodate and and make more of a weekend experience for fans to attract them over for a few days once again. So there's a, a lot of really beautiful opportunities, and I think it's important to appreciate as well that you know football clubs. And stadiums don't exist in, in vacuums. They they are these like wider networks within their communities and, and they should all have relationships with significant institutions in their local proximity, whether these are the local councils, whether these are the local universities, whether it's from a a business point of view or, or from a sustainability point of view as well. They can all you know move together because you can't you can't tackle these 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 issues on your own.
0: And what's happening in the wider football ecosystem? Are there other organisations as well as Football for Future um, trying to tackle these issues?
1: In in the not-for-profit space, there are uh, several organisations, Pledgeball, who work with football fans uh, on these issues as well and support them with the tools that they need to be able to reduce their own environmental impacts and carbon footprints, for example – Uh, uh, Planet Super League as well, or Planet League as they're they're now known, they've had a bit of a rebrand. They work with football foundations to be able to once again inspire young children uh, to to make sustainable lifestyle choices. We have Sport Positive, as I mentioned earlier, who work doing like audits of Premier League clubs. So they have different categories come out in a spreadsheet and the club say okay what do we do here what do we do here whether it's around education whether it's around their communication whether it's around their energy provider or their waste management or whatever it might be and they all get ranked and I think the league table was released every January and they're doing this as well now in the Bundesliga in Germany league One, in France and I believe La Liga or maybe that's underway it's a really cool mechanism for understanding where you within the sustainability space because football is a competitive sport and how do we understand how well we're doing well we have to compare ourselves to other teams and by putting it into a league table I think it's it's quite powerful and and there's an initiative called green codes as well which is doing a similar thing in the football league I think it's a couple of years behind sport positive table but I think it also has really great uh, and exciting
0: potential we mentioned earlier about air travel Um, And we've touched upon the movement of fans and the importance of of stadiums and where they're located, linking that to to regeneration and economic sustainability. Do we need to consider the movement of fans and clubs? And should that become more sustainable for organisations?
1: Absolutely. We have to consider it. Everything's on the table now. You know, everything in football, everything in the world can become more sustainable. And, and, you know, if we look at at football and we break down the match day experience, all of a sudden you realise every single moment has or every single action that we take, every single part of football has a different type of environmental impact that you can measure through different metrics. But like we said earlier, obviously, fan travel is a significant one. But also another point that we touched on earlier is that we do have to be realistic with what we can expect football to do in the short term. And, you know, I'm a football fan and football fans want to be able to go and watch their teams. And it's I think we have quite a disconnected and disparate national transport service in in the UK. It's very, very expensive for people to try and get around and you're going with different providers and clubs. Find that clubs don't have the power to really be able to determine those relationships and and the national sort of transport which is which is on offer for fans and I think it's it's something very important for us to tackle. Obviously, the most sustainable way for. Uh, travel to happen would be no travel but that's not that's not a realistic solution unless you know clubs set up uh, electric buses that are going to be traveling their fans from from one stadium to another i don't think that's also realistic because fans have different needs they're traveling from different places they need to be leaving at different times or coming back at different times trains are the greatest trains are, are so much fun they just really add uh, something beautiful to the experience but I don't think our, our national rail infrastructure is is. It, I don't think it really accommodates for fans at the moment, and you know it's something I'd like to look into in the future. To be perfectly honest, I've spoken to people about this before, but I think we should have be having a conversation ar- around reducing the cost of public transport in the UK, especially with regards to trains. I mean, everybody knows you've heard these crazy stats about how it would be cheaper to commute to London from Madrid than it would be from, say, Manchester. Um, And that just doesn't make any sense. And well, I mean, this, I guess it comes down to government subsidies or something such as that. And we could make this country a lot better and a lot more affordable for everyday people, for the general public by subsidising public transport. Um, this would do amazing things for football as well. It would really reduce the carbon footprint of the football industry. And at the same time, it would open up the country it'd do wonders to the to our national economy with people being able to travel around with more freedom and visiting friends and family and going out and taking domestic vacations. Um, so once again, I think it's a great example of how environmental sustainability and economic sustainability are not mutually exclusive. And, and also from from a, a livelihood point of view as well, I think it would have tremendous impacts.
0: And finally, um, as a Brighton fan, what are the Seagulls doing at the moment in terms of sustainability? And what are your predictions for where you'll finish this season, please? Yeah, (laughs) so I'm
1: interested. It's a very uh, emotionally loaded question. It is. Um, So, well, the the most amazing thing Brighton have ever done, apart from getting promoted to the Premier League, was uh, earlier this year we launched a uh, short documentary called Play On, in collaboration with football for future uh, so we did a, a documentary which focused on padcaster albion who are a yorkshire based non-league team and how they've been flooded i think it was seven times in the last five years and then we focused on brian O'Hil-Albion and albion and Bruno, who was our captain, who got us promoted to the Premier League, he's a club legend. There's murals of him around the city. He featured in it, and you know he's talking about you know this is the Premier League. It's our responsibility to lead the way. And we took a little trip around the Amex and looked at some of the sustainable initiatives that the club is doing. And like I mentioned earlier, the the, the most significant initiative Brighton and Hove Albion are doing is probably subsidising public transport for fans. I think you know we're based on the south coast, so from East to west and west to east for about a half an hour journey. Trains are free with a match day ticket and then also down north to south i think from east croydon also you, you you get on the train for free i mean that's amazing they didn't do it for environmental reasons we did it because like i said we we're tucked away in the south downs a little bit out of town but it's quite a trailblazing pioneering initiative and i think it's an example of like i mentioned the club working with another significant local institution but we would have we would have organized that with the local council i'm sure i'm not quite sure of what the uh, organizational logistics are but That's really cool. And it allows for a better match day experience because you get to travel on the train. You don't have to pay for your ticket. You can meet up with your friends. And there's just a little bit of a a nicer atmosphere uh, getting to a game that way. It feels slightly more special. But aside from that, our kits are made out of partially recycled polyester. They're Nike kits. That's not exclusive to us, but we've got a brand deal with them at the moment or a kit deal with them. Um, And they do that for their other Premier League partners. We have vegetarian food on offer in the concourse, which not not all clubs have. And it's only, a, you know, it's a small action, but it's about putting it there and having it visible. And I must say, if anyone from Brighton and Albion is listening at the moment, you need to stock up more because they always sell out, man. They always sell out of the vegetarian food. I don't either it's popular or they just don't stock it. <laughs> but um, I'd say, you know, uh, we... But we've got bike locks and we've got we've got a relatively modern stadium so we're lucky that we have better energy efficiencies and we've got led lights installed and we've cut down on our single use plastics but there's so much more that the club can do it needs to be tighter than a larger strategy hit us up i'd love to work with the albion yeah we're, we're doing really positive stuff i think we could do a lot better but there's always room for improvement and, and that's the beauty of development and on the pitch point of view how are we going to do this season well we've had an absolutely rip-roaring start and then Chelsea came along and took our manager and all of our back a lot of our backroom staff and significant figureheads so that was very gutting I've, I've just out kind of had a very dark episode I'm always an optimist about the Albion uh, you know I've supported them since I was since I was a little boy and my first ever activism was marching on the streets, trying to get planning permission for us to, to get, found, get the Amex built, what's now the Amex. And uh, yeah, I follow them through thick and thin. And we're going for Europe this season. We're going for Europe. I think we could get Champions League.
0: It's <laughs> a great positive finish <laughs> to conclude on. Um, Elliot, thank you so much for joining us today. We've been really excited to talk to you and good luck for everything you're doing with Football for Future.
1: No, thank you so much, Harry. It's been a pleasure discussing all of this with you and, and yeah, looking forward to hopefully collaborating more in the future, whether it's around educational resources to inspire young geographers who are football fans to join this important conversation or whether it's just uh, yeah, over a beer and sharing
0: ideas. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and Soundcloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures, and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org.